Hello, and welcome to Down to Sally's Cove, a collection of stories about Newfoundland and Labrador by the late Ella Manuel and read by me, Anthony Berger. I'm the editor of my mother's writings about the history and rich culture of the places and people she knew and loved. Many of these stories she read on local and national radio in the 1940s to 1970s. This episode is entitled, Down to Sally's Cove. As the road north from Rocky Harbor was being built in 1953, Ella Manuel walked the old coastal trail from Baker's Brook. In Sally's Cove, she met three old Roberts brothers, all born in Bombay in the 19th century. And here is the scene as she picked her way north. It was late October that I drove through the Humber Valley and along the road to Bombay. It was clear all the way down to the water's edge at Woody Point, but crossing the bay on the car ferry the sky darkened and the wind rose. Late in the evening I arrived at Rocky Harbour, the surf pounding on the ledges, the lighthouse stabbing the gloom. But never is it dark or damp in Rocky Harbour for me. There is always warmth in the Shears' home. Their house is back in the woods by a stream which tumbles over the homemade water wheel that runs their sawmill. It's idle now, for the men are working on the road, poking slowly along the coast, linking homes once isolated. I'm going up that road, I told them. Down, they corrected in automatic chorus. Down, I echoed obediently, though north is always up the map to me. And then one man added, What for? Tis pretty rugged along there, and going to snow soon. But you can ride to Baker's Brook with us tomorrow when we goes to work, and you can get a truck on from there. And when I announced my intention to walk, they were amazed, but at least polite about it. That night I slept to the melody of the brook, with a full moon at my window. At five a.m. it was cold and black, but a breakfast of moose steak, homemade bread and coffee you could put a fork across and not dent, now that was some good. From my place in honor in the truck's cab I could hear the sleepy men grunting as they heaved sacks unto the back, and heaved themselves after. We drove on down the road, picking up workmen along the way. There was no talking as we rattled over rocks as big as your head and then lurched drunkenly along the beach, for the road through the woods was impassable and we had to detour. We passed the lighthouse at Lobster Cove Head, a few weather-beaten houses, more rocks and stumps, and we were at Baker's Brook. The sea roared unceasingly and I could only stand by leaning against the wind. In a landscape empty of houses and fields, filled with the roar of wind and sea, it was startling to come across trucks, bulldozers, graders, and dozens of men hurrying to start their day's work. But that was not for me. I crossed the bridge, high over the rushing brook, which anywhere else would be called a river, walked back down the beach and was soon out of sight. I hitched my pack higher on my shoulders and began my walk to Sally's Cove. I'd wanted to do this for a long time because I think you cannot know a country intimately unless you walk through it. And I did want the memory of Sally's Cove as it was, and as it would not be for long once the road went through. So I walked that morning in a world that, for all I saw of birds, beasts, or men, might have held only me. I thought of the original Sally that morning. 
One story goes that Sally Short and her children were heading by boat for Woody Point in flight from her husband. Darkness came on them, the wind rose, and they were shipwrecked. They put ashore in the uninhabited little cove and sheltered in a puncheon found lying on the beach. There they slept, and the next day, the wind having abated, continued their journey down the coast. Another story held that a woman by that name had left Bay of Islands in a punt, rowing cross-handed northward along the coast until she was shipwrecked here and took shelter in the cove. Music here. It was a dark day. The sea tortured by the wind, green combers rolled over the shoals, rattling the pebbles and pushing the brown spume which piled up on the shore. And then the wind took the froth and hurled small bales of it upon the beach. The stunted trees creaked and groaned. Driftwood was piled high at the waterline, along with bits of wreckage and an old boat hull. The rocks were green, blue, red mauve, sprinkled with gleaming quartz. Every step was a fascination, a wonder I ever got anywhere that morning of driving mist and howling wind. But at Green Point I found shelter, where the noise was lessened. Here I rested on an old winch, near two battered huts with boards weathered to grey velvet and lobster pots piled alongside. My eyes followed the long, slow roll of the sea, my mind remembering the fury around the point, and there came to me a luminous, elemental truth. In a flash I knew what a sailor meant when he said, "'The sea is never cruel, it is kind.' I knew, because I saw that the wind torments the water, drives it, and whips it without mercy. It's the wind that is inimical. The sea is its victim.' Rather would the water caress the land than pound and smack it with giant waves, but the wind drives it to frenzy. That is why a sailor feels a tenderness for the sea, a pity, for it is subjected to such punishment. Past Green Point, the road wound inland through Mesh and Tuckamore, and petered out aimlessly. I went knee-deep in mud, I backtracked, I detoured, and I became afraid physically and spiritually, really scared in that empty, bleak landscape. And then suddenly a bird sang, clear and sweet, and I went on, singing to myself until I came to the road again. Now it skirted cliff-tops. The wind raved through the dead branches, and the rain began to fall. I was wet, cold, and tired when I walked into Sally's Cove. Music here. At the first house I came to, where children looked at from the window, I knocked at the door. It was opened by a smiling woman. I I'm looking for Aunt Polly Roberts, I told her. Her granddaughter lives with me in Cornerbrook. Oh, you must be Ella, said Mrs. Decker warmly. She took me into her cheerful kitchen, fed me a succulent dinner, and gave me good talk. Meanwhile, Aunt Polly heard I was around and came bustling in to fetch me. A wisp of a woman, perhaps seventy-five years old, she moved with the speed and grace of a bird. She took me to her spotless little house to meet her husband, John Charles Roberts, whose English is something beautiful to hear, and whose huge bulk in blue fisherman's jersey was topped by a face of such serenity. It was he who insisted I sample his raspberry cordial while he told me about Sally's Cove. Then we came to his brother Mark's house, full of children and young people and old. Mark, slim and straight, 
a softly weathered, beautiful face with blue eyes, was encircled by his lovely grandchildren running around, everyone talking. One said, You know the brandies out there, that long reef? And a new story was given me. Years ago, it seems, an English man of war, the Pegasus, I think her name was, went aground on the brandies. The commander put ashore, filled with anger, demanding to know why the reef was there when it wasn't on the chart. Well, said Mark's father dryly, I don't know about the chart, but the brandies have been there since I can mind, and now you're there too. Could the local man gave aid to the ship? Well, they supposed they might try to pull her off with their dories, but by the time they got to rights and rowed out, the British seamen were already hard at it. John Charles said you never saw anything like what they did. There were three hundred men on board. They all ran like hell to the starboard rail, then across the deck to the port rail, back and forth, and rolled the vessel right off the reef. I was taken then to meet Eli, the oldest of the Roberts brothers, just as hearty and friendly and lovable as the rest. It was he who countered a visitor's comment, What? No telegraph? No radio? Why, you've no idea what goes on in New York or London. With no worse off than them people, they don't know what's going on in Sally's Cove. What hospitality that afternoon. But now the day was over, and Aunt Polly, bidding me goodbye, said, when you came into the kitchen, twas just like you was one of my own. With a load of fresh lobsters, bake apples tinned by Mark, and inside me more raspberry cordial, do you wonder that I left Sally's Cove feeling that immeasurable wealth had been showered on me? To be counted one of them, those gentle people with the natural manners of a true culture, as long as I live they will be my friends. Of that wondrous journey there is much more to tell, but time runs out. Memory is strong, and when it fades and the going is rough, I shall hold in my hand a pebble from the seacoast, round and smooth like a medallion. I shall savor its texture and remember the essence of my people, my land, my heritage. That was me, Anthony Berger, reading a story by the late Ella Manuel from the podcast series Down to Sally's Cove. This was recorded in the studios of VOBB, the voice of Bombay, community radio in the heart of Grossmore National Park in western Newfoundland. Recording engineer and sound editor was Gary Wilton. Background music from Coffee in the Cove, written and played by David Berger. Together with a biography of my mother, these and other stories are available in book form entitled No Place for a Woman, The Life and Newfoundland Stories of El Emanuel, published in 2020 by Breakwater Books, St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. Thanks for listening. Tune in to the next episode to hear Ella's view of how the new road down north changed people's lives. This is a rare recording of a CBC broadcast the only episode in this podcast series in her actual voice. Mm-hmm.